Hey everyone, and welcome to Beyond the Badge Unfiltered. I'm your host, Jeremy Allman. This is the news dump for the week of February 18th, 2014. It's coming to you a little late. Sorry about that. Had some stuff happen over the weekend, but we're going to get right into it. Now, our sponsor today is Christine's Custom Cleans. Say goodbye to dust bunnies and hello to a fresh, inviting atmosphere. Whether it's a one-time deep clean or a regular maintenance schedule, trust Christine's Custom Cleans to exceed your expectations every time. Now let's get into some news here. Washington lawmakers are going to hold public hearings on three voter-backed initiatives related to police pursuits, the state income tax, and parental rights. We're going to focus on the police pursuit aspect. Initiative 2113. Now this is an initiative which would roll back the restrictions that were placed on police a few years ago. So it's basically going to roll back to what it originally had been instead of the more restrictive pieces that were put into place. So as it stands right now, the RCW reads that a peace officer may not engage in a vehicular pursuit unless there is a reasonable suspicion to believe that a person in the vehicle has committed or is committing a violent offense, as defined, and it gives the RCW, a sex offense, as defined with the RCW, vehicular assault offense, assault in the first, second, third, or fourth, but only if the assault four includes domestic violence, escape under 9A.76, or uh, driving under the influence. Now, those are the crimes that it basically narrowed down to. So if you had any other crime outside of what is listed in the RCW, then police couldn't pursue. In addition to that, the pursuit needed to be, or still does actually, the pursuit needs to be necessary for the purpose of identifying or apprehending the person. The person poses a serious risk of harm to others and the safety risks of failing to apprehend or identifying the person are considered to be greater than the safety risk of the vehicular pursuit under the circumstances. And then it goes on, there's uh, a bunch of different little elements that have to be met. It goes on talking about who needs to be notified during the pursuit. They have to have already been through the pursuit training and things of that nature. But what I'm really focused on and what people should be talking about here is the rollback of narrowing down the types of crimes that needed to be present. So the major change to this RCW is going to be with the crimes that you need to have reasonable suspicion for. So the way it's going to read, or the way it's going to be proposed, is that there is reasonable suspicion, a person, and instead of listing all of those crimes that I just did, it's just going to go straight to a person has violated the law. You're still going to have the pursuit as necessary for the purpose of identifying or apprehending the person, now, the next one, where currently it says the person poses a serious risk of harm to others, they're proposing that it be changed to the person poses a threat to the safety of others. And the safety risks of failing to apprehend or identify the person are considered to be greater than the safety risks of the pursuit. They actually left in all the other things, which include um, talking about jurisdiction size and notification, you know, some of the things I had already mentioned, but and you're going to have a pursuit RCW now, which is going to give agencies back that leeway. They're going to be able to make that decision for themselves now out on the road. So the RCW is not going to prevent 
any agency from placing more restrictive policies on their officers. It just can't be like anything else. It can't be less restrictive. But a law enforcement agency can place additional restrictions on who they can and cannot pursue. So why is this so important? Well, it's important because you see how, in my opinion, things have kind of gone to shit ever since this was put into place. As it stands right now, if a police officer pulls you over for, let's even say that you're driving a stolen vehicle and they stop you. Well, all you got to do is just take off. The driving a stolen vehicle or possession of a stolen vehicle is not one of the crimes that are enumerated in the vehicular pursuit policy as it stands right now. So unless it's any one of those crimes that I had listed off, people don't, people, criminals aren't stopping. Now, were they stopping before? Well, they were to a certain degree, but you also had instances where law enforcement was able to pursue those people and during the course of that pursuit, make the determination whether or not the pursuit could continue based on a whole bunch of different circumstances. Police officers have to take into consideration alternatives to the pursuit, you know, what's the justification for the pursuit, and any other considerations. So whether pedestrians on the road or pedestrian traffic, um, traffic as it is, you know, if it, is it is there heavy traffic, you know, or is the person doing 70 miles an hour down Main Street in your town, you know, is that something, you know, what are the other factors to consider while that's happening? All of that is happening in seconds. So some of you who are not in law enforcement may ask, well, what's reasonable suspicion? Reasonable suspicion is all an officer needs to, let's say, conduct a traffic stop. So they think you may have committed a crime of some sort. It's normally seen as more than a guess or a hunch, but less than probable cause. That's a, a higher standard. So let's put that in a scenario when it comes to the pursuit law. So you're the police officer, you're traveling behind a vehicle with, let's say, expired tabs, what appear to be expired tabs. And you go to activate your emergency equipment, you try and conduct a traffic stop. The vehicle doesn't yield to your emergency lights and sirens, and they continue driving away and, you know, start traveling at a high rate, all the things, right? Well, the initial suspicion was that the traffic stop was being conducted for the purpose of the expired tabs or what appeared to be the expired tabs. It could have been later on that the tabs were current. Maybe they just didn't put the current tabs on the vehicle. But again, why did they take off in the first place? There's some other reason why the subject is now fleeing law enforcement. But even if it turned out that the tabs were current, they were just improperly displayed or you know not put on the vehicle correctly in the first place, they just kept the old tabs on there. That was enough at the time for the police officer to conduct the traffic stop. He had he or she had reasonable suspicion to suspect that the tabs were expired, and that gave them justification for the traffic stop. So it will be interesting to see who speaks at the hearings. I know there's many law enforcement executives that are going to be talking in front of the legislature for the changing, you know, for the rollback of the pursuit policy. So we'll see how it goes. That's happening the 27th and 28th of February. And in the never-ending saga that is Green Hill School, <laughs> uh, Jay Inslee, the Washington State governor, uh, sent 
a letter to John Braun. John Braun is the uh, one of the leading uh, Republican state senators here in Washington. Uh, he sent a letter February 22nd to Senator Braun, and it's, I don't know how quite to describe it, but he starts off the letter, and I'll download it and put it in the Patreon account for you guys, so you guys can download it there, or uh, you search it on Google, whatever, but um, he starts off the letter with, My office received your letter regarding Green Hill School. I understand that in the past few months, the Washington State Department of Children, Youth, and Families, DCYF, has invited you to tour the facility personally and learn firsthand about the current issues they are navigating, but you have so far refused their offer. So I like how he does a little dig against Senator Braun in the letter, but it doesn't stop there. So Governor Inslee says that it is absolutely true that House Bill 6160 and the fentanyl crisis have impacted conditions at Green Hill. And then he says, should you choose to become more informed and visit Green Hill School to speak with their leaders, they could talk to you about their ongoing collaboration with the Chehalis Police Department and how they have enacted all their suggested reforms to date. Green Hill School leaders could also tell you about the additional security measures they are implementing related to perimeter security, population management, contraband, and more. And then he goes on to state some examples. His examples are that additional staff patrols of Green Hill School perimeter in preparation for new exterior surveillance cameras, Ooh. updated visitor protocols that limit visitors from bringing in personal items, allowing only keys and identification documents with outer layers, uh, coats and sweaters, etc., he says, uh, removed for scanning, increased programming and modified physical separation to quell instances of aggression. Okay. Uh, preparations to install new body scanners in accordance with Washington State Department of Health rules, and a new process of reporting incidents to local law enforcement through central dispatch. And then he puts here, which is why you might perceive that there is a higher volume of emergency response calls. Okay, a couple things about this list. Additional staff patrols of the Green Hill School perimeter and preparation for a new exterior surveillance cameras. It's my understanding that that's not necessarily the problem. The problem isn't, and I'm not saying it hasn't been in the past with people tossing items over the fence or whatever. That's not the biggest issue. It's, is it a good step? Sure, but that's not the biggest issue. Um, the updated visitor protocols that limit visitors, um, that should have been done a long time ago, uh, but that's good to see. Uh Increased programming and modified physical separation to quell instances of aggression. I'm not exactly sure what he's talking about there. Increased programming. Uh, I don't know whether that means additional counseling. Yeah. And what is modified physical separation? I have no idea what he means by that. Uh, preparations to install new body scanners. That's going to be a tricky one because it's my understanding that that has not gone over well in the first place with employees there. So we'll see how that works. Um, and then it says he ends with, you know, the new process of reporting incidents, which is why you might perceive that there is a higher volume of emergency response calls. But that doesn't necessarily mean with what he's saying here is the perception that there's more going on there. There is more going on there. It's just not being reported. That's the whole problem. So it, it's always been like that. 
So I don't know why, quite why he worded it like that, but it's it's clever. But the problem is, is that this stuff has been going on there for so damn long that now, yes, you're going to see uh, incidents getting reported at a very higher rate because that's the rate at which they're happening there. Another big thing to come out of this letter is that he's having DOC, the Washington State Corrections, uh, Department of Corrections, experts, quote-unquote, uh, are also engaged in assessing additional steps to strengthen operations and policies at all the DCYF maximum security facilities. So you're going to be having folks from DOC visiting Green Hill, more than likely Echo Glen, Mabel Lane, etc., and identifying you know, things that they can improve on, which that's that's good. I think it's a good step. So he ends the letter by stating that he has a strong interest in ensuring a safe environment for Green Hill School's youth and employees and promoting positive rehabilitation outcomes for the youth at all our juvenile rehabilitation facilities. He says, I cannot imagine anyone whose heart does not break at the news of a young person, whatever the circumstances, correction, whatever their circumstances, grappling with substance use issues or trying to escape a dangerous cycle of violence. Rehabilitation requires a balance between accountability and compassion to achieve long-term success, both for their futures and for the safety of our communities. I don't think you're going to find anyone, or you shouldn't find anyone, in my opinion, that disagrees with that. There should be accountability and compassion for the young adults that are in there. The major issues in my mind, though, two of them, is having grown-ass men in a juvenile facility. They need to be in DOC, bottom line. So we, we need to revisit that house bill and see what we can do about that, or something needs to be done about that. But then the second part is contraband being brought in both by family and employees. How are you going to stop that? I think what he spoke about and what the governor spoke about in his letter regarding uh, visitor protocols, that's great. You need to limit what they're being brought in. They don't need, it's a correctional facility. You don't need to be, you're not coming in for a vacation. You're, be, you're coming into a correctional facility. You don't need to be bringing in all this extra baggage. You're there to see your kid and leave. That's all you're doing. You're not bringing the whole kitchen sink with you. Now, he talks about the body cameras, uh, a correction of the body scanners. That's the other component to the contraband issue. That's going to help. It's an additional layer of locating contraband. Now, what I'm interested in finding out is if What's the protocol for the employees coming in and out of there as far as for their shift um, or even when they're coming in and out of the facility during their shift uh, in and out of the front front gates? So I'm really interested to see that. I did last week submit a public disclosure request for all staff assaults that have occurred between January 1st, 2024 and I think it was like the 17th or something in February. Um, I got a response back saying I think it was June or something that they might have all of that available for me because uh, there's going to be a lot of redacting that they're going to need to do. So the interesting part is going to be when I compare the assaults that occurred on the Hill between those time frames and what was actually reported to Chehalis Police Department. So we'll see what the Shales Police Department has to say as far as their records go about any incident reports on their end uh, that were made by Green Hill staff. I also did ask for 
employee handbook and anything regarding the body scanners, as well as the collective bargaining agreement, the CBA, between whatever their union is um, and the state regarding uh, specifically, you know, procedures that the employees have to go through when it comes to uh, going through scanners and, you know, things of that nature. And I've sat on a number of executive boards for these collective bargaining groups in law enforcement. So I understand the need to keep what you got. You know, whatever you've been able to negotiate up until this point, you never want to be retro about it. You never want to give up. If you can, you never want to give up anything that you've been able to earn up to this point because things that you've been able to earn through negotiations on the employee side may have taken a couple of years, maybe even longer than that, to even get up to where you're currently at in the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement. So I say that because if there's anything in the current CBA that talks about body scanners or employees being searched when they're coming in, that's what's going to be interesting to read because they're going to have to make a decision on what's best for the facility. What I mean by that is if you have language in the CBA that says something to the effect that, you know, employees will not be searched, that's going to be a, a high hurdle to, to jump over if the whole purpose in this restructuring of the program, the way that people are being scanned or checked as they come into the facility, and by people I mean employees, then I don't know how they're going to cross that threshold because uh, something needs to change in that specific area. If the problem is that you have some employees that bring in contraband. So how do you specifically address that issue without also making sure that the employees are checked as they're coming into the facility? So that's just going to be something that they're going to figure out. But it needs to be something that they really talk about as a group and figure out how what's going to be best for the employee and management in regards to the safety and security there at the facility, you know, where's, where's the middle ground there that they can come to, but time will tell. So we'll see. And, uh, we'll see what else comes up between now and when I get the records back from the state and real quick on the subject of the whole uh, juveniles there until their 25th birthday, that falls under RCW 13.40.300. A commitment of juvenile beyond age 21 prohibited, and then it lists the exceptions uh, for a commitment up to age 25, but not beyond. So in section two it read, of that RCW, it reads that a juvenile offender adjudicated of an A++ juvenile disposition category offense listed in RCW 13.40.0357 or found to be armed with a firearm and sentenced to an additional 12 months pursuant to RCW 13.40.1933b, may be committed by the juvenile court to the Department of Children, Youth, and Families for placement in a juvenile rehabilitation facility up to the juvenile offender's 25th birthday but not beyond. So what are they talking about when it says the A++ juvenile disposition category? So in that RCW, uh, RCW 13.40.0357, they have a list and they basically give a grade, you know, an A through D, um, and then also a plus or a plus plus added to it. 
for all the, these different crimes. So you have 21 to 25-year-olds at Green Hill School with an A++ as listed in the RCW for drive-by shooting committed at the age of 16 or 17. And the other one is robbery first, committed at age 16 or 17. So those two categories, robbery in the first degree and drive-by shooting, are an A++ rating, which would qualify the defendant to be placed under care of DCYF. So in this instance, Greenhill, we're talking about, uh, from age 21 to 25. So let's, but the crime had to have been committed, you know, when they were 16 or 17. So you have a 16 or 17 year old that's serving out a sentence for robbery in the first degree or drive-by shooting that before this bill came along would have been there until their 21st birthday and then would have been taken to DOC somewhere. Well, with these two specific crimes, which are firearm related, you now have that 21 year old that is staying, depending on how long their sentence was initially, for another four years at a facility that also houses minors. So how they can get away with doing that, it's in the law, So, but that's something that they need to change. So I'll go ahead and put the document in the Patreon page so you can access it, so you can read it for yourself the document regarding the, the House Bill 6160. And there is an update in reference to the Washington State Patrol Trooper that was shot last week up in Kent, uh, Trooper Ray Seberg, 21-year veteran of the Washington State Patrol. Um, he had attempted to pull over a DUI suspect. Um, there was a foot pursuit after a vehicle collision. Uh, there was a struggle, and Trooper Seberg was shot nine times. And what happened was getting more information as it comes out, but he was shot nine times in the legs and suffered a severed femoral artery. So apparently if it wasn't for a Kent police officer and a, another trooper arriving quickly and applying tourniquets on his legs, uh, he may not have made it according to the reporting. There has been a GoFundMe. It has been verified uh, to help support Trooper Seberg and his family. They've set a goal of $125,000. Um, they've so far raised, looks like $110,412. Um, so I'll go ahead and put the link to that in the description so you guys can check that out and donate what you can. And we obviously wish Trooper Seberg a speedy recovery. It's going to be a long road, but uh, it appears that he's got a lot of family and friends supporting him right now. And of course, the State Patrol, as always, coming in and supporting their own. Moving on to the line of duty deaths for the week of February 18th, 2024. Unfortunately, saw a tragic scenario unfold with the Burnsville Police Department in Minnesota. On Sunday, February 18th, 2024, police officers Paul Elmstrand and Matthew Rouge were shot and killed after responding to a domestic incident in the 12,600 block of 33rd Avenue at about 2 a.m. A man who was a convicted felon had taken several family members hostage, including seven children, and barricaded himself inside the home. 
Officers Rouge, Elmstrand, and two other police officers have been negotiating inside the house with the man who claimed to be unarmed. After three and a half hours of negotiation, the subject fired on the officers suddenly around 0526 hours, so 526 a.m. Two officers returned fire, wounding the subject in the leg. While Officer Rouge and a Burnsville Police Department sergeant were exiting the home, they were struck a second time. Burnsville firefighter paramedic Adam Finseth was shot while he was trying to help the wounded officers to an armored vehicle. The man continued to shoot at officers from an upstairs window. Officers Rouge, Elmstrand, and paramedic Finseth were transported to Hennepin County Medical Center where they succumbed to their wounds. The sergeant was treated and released. Uh, it was reported that the man committed suicide and was found deceased in the home around 10.15 a.m. The investigation revealed that the subject fired more than 100 rounds at officers. The hostages were able to escape safely. So, Officer Paul Elmstrand, 27 years old, he's a police officer for five years. Officer Matthew Rouge, 27 years old, police officer for four years. Trooper Redner was investigating the collision site and was standing outside his patrol car around 12.30 a.m. While he was hit by a passing vehicle, he was transported to Grady Memorial Hospital where he died from his injuries. Trooper Redner had served with the Georgia State Patrol for over six years. Uh, he's 31 years old. He worked for Georgia State Patrol for six years and five months. And I checked a number of different news outlets in the area, and they have not identified either one of the drivers of the vehicles, the one who struck the construction worker or the one who struck the trooper. So unknown if there are any charges pending for any of those two. And then on Wednesday, February 21st, 2024, uh, Deputy Sheriff Charles Rivette with the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office in Texas was killed in a crash on southbound Interstate 45 in Centerville, Texas at 10.30 p.m. Deputy Rivette was a passenger in a patrol car transporting an inmate from Oklahoma to Montgomery County when it struck a tractor trailer. Unable to stop, two other tractor trailers crashed into the back of the patrol car. The impact forced the vehicle into the northbound lanes. Deputy Rivette was thrown out of the vehicle and was hit by a pickup truck traveling in the northbound lanes. The other deputy, the inmate, and one of the tractor trailer drivers also suffered serious injuries. The firefighter paramedic that was shot and killed during the same incident, Adam Fenseth, was 40 years old. He had joined the, and this is coming from CARE 11, one of the news stations there in Minnesota. He had joined the city of Burnsville as a firefighter paramedic in February 2019. Uh, he was also part of the public safety team SWAT unit and served as a water rescue trainer. Deputy Rivette had served with the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office for 18 years. Prior to joining the city of Burnsville, he served as a firefighter in Hastings and Savage, Minnesota. A few days later in Georgia, on Tuesday, February 20th, 2024, Georgia State Trooper First Class Chase Redner was struck and killed while investigating a fatal pedestrian crash scene on Interstate 75 in Morrow. At 10.30 p.m. on February 19th, 2024, a construction worker died after being struck by a vehicle while setting up a work zone. We also saw two canines killed. Tuesday, February 20th, 2024, canine Leo with the Marion County Sheriff's Office in Florida had succumbed to gunshot wounds he received during a domestic call in the 900 block of Northwest 114th Court in Silver Springs. 
on February 17th, 2024. When Marion County Sheriff's deputies arrived at the scene, the subject, accused of battery by strangulation, fired at them from the backyard. Canine Leo was struck in an area not covered by his protective armor. Deputies returned fire, killing the subject. Canine Leo was transported to the UF Animal Hospital in Gainesville, where he died three days later. Uh, canine Leo had served with the Marion County Sheriff's Office for three years. And the second canine, Canine Luca, with the DeSoto County Sheriff's Office in Mississippi, was shot and killed after a vehicle pursuit in Lake Cormorant in Mississippi. A subject fled in a vehicle from the DeSoto County Sheriff's deputies on Highway 61. The car crashed after deputies deployed a pit maneuver near Star Landing Road. When the subject's vehicle stopped, Canine Luca was unleashed. The subject fired at Canine Luca, striking him. Deputies returned fire, killing the subject. Canine Luca was transported to a veterinary hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. Canine Luca had served with the DeSoto County Sheriff's Office for four years and actually had previously served with the Army's 7th Special Forces Group Multipurpose Canine Combat Tracking Detachment at Eglin Air Force Base in Florida for five years. So that's it for the show. Go ahead and check us out on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash beyond the badge podcast. I'll put the link in the description. There you can have access to some behind the scenes stuff that we're planning on doing and a lot of the documents that I mentioned in the shows I put on there. So go ahead and check that out and I'll talk to you guys later.